Hi there, and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks out the middle ground in the wellness world. And also this summer journeys through some of the worst wellness trends throughout history. I'm Annika Buckle. And I'm Jenny Omani. And if you are enjoying our podcast, we would love a five-star review on the platform of your choice. And um a lovely little review note share with a friend do nice things you know karma man just what goes around comes around it's all good (laughs) um and if you don't want to do that like that's fine but it'd be really nice if you did (laughs) (laughs) we welcome you here anyway but gosh wouldn't it be nice to put a little bit in that karma bank um okay so (laughs) if you have uh been with us this summer we're doing a little journey through the decades uh we this week have made it all the way to the 1980s finally a decade that jenny and i were alive for (laughs) geriatric millennials in the house (laughs) Uh um i mean of course as you know most of our episodes this summer have been we're sojourning through the 1980s, which shouldn't surprise you to know is a decade full of diets and conversations about body image and exercise. Please treat yourself kindly if that's not right for you today. Okay, let's jump in. I have to say, when I was researching this episode, it was actually shockingly hard for me to kind of find like an arc for what I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. I think not only because, you know, I've lived through this, um, but also partly because so much of this data is kind of already in the cultural zeitgeist. You know, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who wouldn't list low fat products and Fonda workouts as like markers of the 80s. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's some history and context here that make it interesting. So just bear with me. We're going to go down a couple of rabbit holes today. (laughs) I love a good rabbit hole. All right. Um, Let's talk about exercise first. So I personally have really lovely memories of doing the Jane Fonda workout tapes with my mom when I was little. That's cute. <laughs> um, it, it's actually a side note, very funny to hear her talk about getting the tape because of course you had to like write away for it. And when it arrived in the mail, oh, yeah, yeah. it was the same nondescript packaging that they used to send pornographic movies and being in oh. a teeny tiny town, my mom was like totally scandalized by this. Like people freak no. out because the kindergarten teacher is buying porn. She's trying to explain like, no, it's this new workout tape. And <laughs> my god of course like mary at the post office totally saw what came small town gossip loves stuff like that (laughs) so the original 1982 jane fonda's workout was the first non-theatrical home video release to top sales charts and Hmm. it was the top selling vhs tape for six years the same workout yep in total Fonda sold 17 million videos in the 1982 to 1995 series, because, of course, with the success of one, there were others. In fact, she made 22 videos of various workouts in total in those years. I also found this that, like, literally made my head explode. It sold for $59.95 for the videotape, which, if we convert into today's dollars, is $190. (laughs) Wow. For like a tape. Right. You know, go Jane. Uh, I mean, of course, she didn't start the trend, but she is absolutely the reason for kind of this incredible explosion of success, which I'll talk more about in a minute. But before the Jane Fonda workout, I also just want to highlight people released workout records. So 
Um, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Carol yeah. Hensel released uh, aerobic dancer size in 1980. Richard Simmons was already producing exercise records. Fun fact, oh his God, 19, yes. right? <laughs> his 1982 record reach was certified platinum before it even shipped out because of pre-orders. So also really interesting. I found was that it actually her activism was her motivation behind agreeing to do that first video. Initially, she said no, because she didn't think it had any potential, literally, and I quote, no one I knew even owned a VCR player. It was just way too expensive, and there had never been a product anyone wanted to use over and over that would justify spending that kind of money on the expensive hardware, end quote. So in case you're wondering (laughs) context at the time, it becomes actually even more incredible when you think about how many copies of it she sold, given that that was kind of the context going in, right? Totally. Cause I guess I'm trying to think of my own childhood and like, we were a very normal middle-class family. Like we definitely didn't have like the super expensive things, but we weren't poor by any stretch of the imagination. And we had a VCR, but like I was born in 1984. So it would have been the early nineties would be my memories. Right. Right. So, totally. so yeah. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Huh. Yeah. So because she was having this huge success with a workout studio she opened in Beverly Hills. Um, and this is very interesting. She didn't actually own it. It was owned by her political action committee called Campaign for Economic Democracy, which was formed to promote issues such as rent control, reduction of water pollution, investing in solar power, fighting against nuclear power, advocating labor rights, women's rights, and anti-war initiatives. So Wow. Yeah, right. So what she realized is if nothing else, she had the chance to raise more money for her activism by, you know, attempting this again. She didn't think it was going to go anywhere, but she thought, oh, well, you know, we can do this on a shoestring budget. If I make a little extra money for, you know, my political activism, you know, great. But the rest is history. (laughs) Um, Props to whoever was the person who was like, no, you should really do this. Because it sounds like she had to be convinced to do it. Like, totally. Yeah. So some there's always like a behind the scenes person that we don't know. And yeah. props to that person because they sure had the vision. It's like Larry something or another, I think. Oh, Anyways. yeah. <laughs> Larry. Good um, but it's like a really interesting story when we look at kind of what this created culturally for women to start to really have a place to do exercise at gyms, right? Mm-hmm. This is typically up until this point, not something that we've seen women, <laughs> as we learned about in, you know, the... 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, exercise in gyms for women was like, stand in your like pearls and heels on this like machine that's going to shake your body. Like it's not, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, so it creates a safe space to be able to do fitness in the comfort of your own home. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the things she talks about is like, you know, young moms don't have childcare. You don't need childcare. Mm-hmm. You just do it in your living room. Right. Yeah. No, no equipment, um, especially kind of in our world now, like post pandemic, where anything you can imagine as a workout, you can do at home. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we kind of remember back like this was a time when most people, especially women, simply didn't have access to fitness the way that we do now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also like the 80s, we start tipping into women working more and more like outside mm-hmm. of the home. And so that kind of falls in line with with that, too. Yeah, totally. And that kind of leads us into this, you know, second point of note is it really, in a lot of ways, changes the aesthetic of what women were kind of like, quote unquote, allowed to do. Mm. Um, I vividly remember her catchphrase as she shouted at, at my mom and I in our basement, feel the burn. 
Oh my gosh. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, at the time, I think it's very easy for the greater culture to kind of like write it off. But I mean, looking back, she's leading this movement that in a lot of ways was really counter to the larger cultural, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of conversation. So this is a quote from her. Um, we weren't supposed to sweat or have muscles. Now, along with 40 other women, I found myself moving nonstop for an hour and a half in entirely new ways. I was do just want to say yeah, yeah. A long that's a <laughs> long aerobics. There's class. a warm-up, there's a cool down, right? Um yeah, but still, okay. You would feel a burn. 90 minutes, <laughs> Jane. <laughs> um, you know, I I do want to highlight like the look is still thin. But it's thin and muscular, which is, you know, maybe not better, but is definitely different. (laughs) No, but I also think it's like when we, it's really easy to look back with no social context and be like, Mm -hmm. that's not feminism. That's not appropriate. That's not. And it's like, yes. And And. also. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And right. Like we, it's a trajectory. And when you look at like what expectations and appearance and all these things were for women a hundred years before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, no, it's not modern day perfection and what right. we would like to see with equality and all these things, but it was a very stark contrast to yeah. what and was also very interesting. Available. She yeah. talks about wanting, you know, in her videos, she, she wants, she does her best to cast a, you know, quote unquote, diverse cast of people which again you oh, know okay. it's the 1980s she said i wanted people of all ages there were okay. men like there were people of all colors i yeah. think you're not seeing that diversity in a lot of other places in media at that point so the fact that she you know pushes for that is significant right well especially because uh, if she's running out of a beverly hills studio right she's probably it's also this element of taking something that was very likely happening at an exclusive level for certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's making it more accessible for other people. And to give her credit, it sounds like she was thinking well beyond what social norms were then Did, like taking something of her at the time. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Or expected or yeah. 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 Um, so we kind of have this shift from away from like that working out can only be for men, which I think also this leads to the third aspect of this that obviously we have to talk about, which is the fashion. Um, oh, I'm so here for the 80. Like <laughs> anybody know, goes I to know. an 80s party, someone's wearing a onesie, little mm-hmm. leotard. Yeah. Like so it, what I think is really interesting when you kind of look at the timeline and actually um, there's a really fascinating article that I'll link in the show notes around the history of exercise fashion. Um, okay. is one of the biggest differences from the seventies workout wear to the eighties was the addition of leg warmers and sweatpants, sweatbands, which I think are very quintessentially eighties, but anyways, I'm going to drop yeah. um, these two images. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, perfect. And like, this is exactly what people to this day mm-hmm. wear when they have an eighties party and in all honesty, like. Aritzia had that one piece bodysuit that yeah, it's kind of last year was a real thing. That um the black and white image, that's a Sears and Roebuck catalog page, right? Like you can order this Mm -hmm. mail order from Sears, right? It's Uh this is what's happening. So um I wore a bodysuit yesterday. It did that thing where it just kind of accidentally, this thing accidentally turned into a whole cultural phenomenon. 
Totally. And, and it seems like not on purpose. <laughs> well, it's funny because Jane Fonda talks about, oh, I wore leg warmers because, you know, I came from ballet. I love ballet. I was just going to say ballerinas always wore thing. leg warmers. So, so did I, it's just, you know, this is what we added. So, um, anyways, really fun and interesting, but let's move on to food and nutrition in the 1980s. Shall we? Uh, low fat, low fat, low fat, the end. I mean, I'm kidding, but only kind of. <laughs> Not really that much. Yeah. I'm going to um, send you um, something to read or is a little summary from an article in Bon Appetit. Um, again, I'll link it in the show notes, but this but kind of lays Appetit. out why low fat became such a craze in the 80s. In 1977, a Senate committee released a report telling Americans that they need to cut the fat, salt and cholesterol meat butter and eggs in their diet right now or else those types of food the report said directly linked heart disease cancer obesity and stroke it cited evidence that scholars at the time and today said is flawed um the report drove home the idea that taking control of our diets means taking control of our health for those who are overweight the report said the best protection against heart disease is weight reduction Later, the U.S. Surgeon General and the World Health Organization chimed in with their own low-fat reports. Every newspaper and magazine covered the news, and suddenly, all over America, fridges were stocked with watery skim milk and margarine. <laughs> so, you know, basically, the thinking is like, swap out your milk and reduce your chances both of being fat and heart disease. So okay. the problem is, of course, there wasn't actually really any evidence to support this other than like... I was like reading through some of the conversations in the transcripts. It's basically like vibes. Um, uh. And I think that, you know, this is really important to kind of talk about that this becomes this turning point that really starts to shift us closer to the wellness world today from kind of what we've seen historically up until this point. It really mm -hmm. created this idea that health is a personal choice, that you personally can control what shape your body is if you get heart disease or not, and then entrench this idea that capitalist consumption is going to save us, right? All this Diet Coke, mm -hmm. healthy choice brand, pre-made meals, mm -hmm. you know, this then becomes the language. If you get heart disease, it's your fault, right? If you're um, not in the right size body, that's your fault, right? Mm-hmm. And also, I think that this is the time where producing things in a large scale becomes a real, it, um, I mean, it's been a capability for a while, but it really becomes sort of ironed out. And also shipping becomes mm -hmm. just a bit more easier. Yeah, it just becomes just, I think, less expensive and more accessible for companies. So you can produce these manufactured products and distribute them in a way that you couldn't previously. So there's also more incentive to promote. Like if you're a company making something and these are the reports that are coming out, you're like, sweet, we can literally make, we can literally capitalize on yeah, this, right? We can capitalize yeah. on this and we can distribute it and all of these things. And a lot of the stuff, especially in the eighties, like we saw so many packaged mm -hmm. things. And so those are like shelf stable, those transport easily. Like there's always less money to be made off of like fruits and vegetables. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> right? Um, so there's kind of two other things going on in this decade that are reinforcing this kind of like lie of lifestyle, I'll call it. Um, and it's like, we're going to get a little bit dark for the next little bit, but I think it's important. I actually find this is kind of the most interesting part to look at context, because I think this is partly how we got to where we are today. So 
The first of these two things is the AIDS crisis. Mm, yeah. Part, partly due to government inaction, partly due to misinformation and prejudice, we again get this reinforcement that if you make the right quote unquote lifestyle choices that mm -hmm. you can control your health. Don't eat butter. Don't be gay. And if you do, mm -hmm. you deserve whatever you get. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the same yeah. shit we see today. Don't eat fast food. Don't use drugstore brand face cream. And if you do, then you get what you deserve. It's mm -hmm. really this is the starts to be the the framing and the language at this time. But it's like accountability on steroids, right? There's yeah. accountability is is a good thing. Yeah. But it's it's uh very um misconstrued. Well, and again, it becomes like personal responsibility over system change, right? Which you yeah. know leads us into kind of the second thing that's going on at this time that reinforces this idea of lifestyle choices. Um you know, when people are looking at or talking about the 1980s, you know, the obese, quote unquote, obesity epidemic is taking off. You know, mm -hmm. people love to talk about numbers like in 1970, fast food sales were 6 billion. And by 1988, fast food sales were 60 billion. Mm -hmm. But politically, the 1980s were both a time of massive global recession and mm -hmm. very conservative right wing government policy to cut social programs. You know, this is Reaganomics. This is Thatcherism. They, these are policies put in place by leaders specifically to cut government spending in response to what was at the time, you know, quote unquote, stagflation, prices rising while mm -hmm. unemployment remains high. But mm -hmm. this, you know, textbook trickle down economics, if we cut taxes to corporations, they'll raise the wages of workers and hire more people. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> They're right. not going to just like enjoy their make more money margin. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we just yeah. made your profit margins bigger. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks so much. Thanks. Yes, I will yeah. buy an additional yacht. I'm so happy that yeah. you've changed these policies. Yeah. Right. So then this is the other side of these policies. If you're cutting business taxes, this is a huge source of government funds. Then you have to cut the programs that those taxes used to fund. This is where we see mm -hmm. massive cuts to things like food stamps, you know, why are fast foods mm -hmm. still skyrocketing? Because it's cheap and easy and people need to yeah. eat. This is the decade we start to see the emergence of food deserts, which we've talked about at length before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're in a decade where we're cutting social programs and access to fresh food and corporations are swooping in to fill a need, right? It's also a decade where um, mass media is really taking off. And so mm -hmm. advertising when people, um, like you're just seeing more and more uh, you're getting more and more reach into people's homes with things like mm -hmm. television and, and, and whatnot. Right. So in a way that you weren't, uh, before. So no, you yeah, know, there's like so one or two channels more. instead of yeah. that huge, you know, a whole cable yeah. lineup of options. Right. And actually 100%. we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as to kind of wrap up today, but you know, this is the same thing we see in the AIDS crisis that we see in aerobics, just like we see in the wellness world today. If you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps, mm -hmm. if you can't just make more money, if you can't just not be gay, <laughs> yeah. you know, then it's your own fault and you deserve whatever is coming to you. It's all the same rhetoric, right? Well, it's, it's othering, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. And again, it's, oh, it's your, it's personal responsibility. You know, you have to figure it out for yourself. And I did, again, it's like what we see today. I did it. If I can do it, you can do it. If you're not, mm -hmm. you're just wrong for, you know, X, Y, Z reason. And it's also a protective mechanism that our brains do where if something seems scary, you really want to find a way to make it not apply to you. 
Right. Because it's scary. Totally. Right. Anything that seems really concerning, you want to find a way to make yourself safe in that situation. And othering is just like a very, I mean, it's likely a primitive thing. I'm sure for as long as we've been humans, we've grouped and classified and made, you know, ourselves feel better by saying, I'm sure that I'm on the inside other people. Yeah. That's not going to happen to me because X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So yeah, that's human. I mean, that's human behavior. Totally. Right. And why not then take that to a, a bigger level because there's a lot of money involved and Uh there's, you want government and political buy-in. Yeah, too. Right. We still see this today. Right. Absolutely. Especially with it's it's definitely not as bad in Canada with how our politics are funded. But like in the States, there's a lot of money that goes into funding politicians and their runs and uh, like all of this stuff. So like, yeah, you you're going to see this capitalized on in order to have political gain. Mm -hmm. Just yep depressing but here we are so yay um glad to see so much has changed yeah since the 80s. <laughs> okay <laughs> i want to wrap up today with another iconic event of the 1980s okay um I'm I'm, i'll link it in the show notes the year is 1988 this will go on to be the highest rated episode of the 25 year run of this show at the time 62 million or one in four americans were watching this <laughs> I lost, I have lost as of this morning, as of this morning, 67 pounds since July 7th, 67 pounds and 30 inches from my bust, my uh, waist and my hips, 7, 12, 11, I think it is. And this, let me tell you, those of you who are starting dieting or dieting a little bit, this is what 67 pounds of fat looks like. I can't, I can't lift it. Now, when you talk about, Jimmy, is this gross or what? It is amazing to me that I can't lift it, but I used to carry it around every day. And when you talk about making yourself the best you can be, do, I'm glad I did this for my heart, because my poor heart that had to send blood to all of this, all of this, it, I, it's just, it's shocking to me that it is, it is this, uh, I saw it yesterday. I said, I'm going to live on broccoli now. Adipose tissue, notoriously with the biggest blood supply of anything in the body. I just, the best part about that was how she kept saying she couldn't lift it as she was lifting it. I'm like, you're lifting it, Oprah. You're literally lifting the wagon of fat. Oh my God. The wagon so of fat. That's the wagon of fat. Uh, what, what has lovingly become known as the wagon of fat episode of Oprah. She did it by literally actually starving herself. Like actually, like she says herself, she's like, I did not eat a single thing for, it was like six weeks. As we saw in the seventies, it's, you know, it's a liquid meal replacement that she takes and she did. And so she doesn't eat, she eats no food. And unsurprisingly, then the second she starts eating food again, you can live on broccoli all you want, Oprah, but the reality is this is what sets the stage, right? Yeah. For this continual idea that like, if you just work hard enough, mm-hmm. you will become thin. I don't think anybody could look at 
her in that video talking about the way that she lost the weight by not eating and think, wow, that's healthy, right? But this is what we're told at the time. And this is why we, you know, women of our generation grew up with really gross diet culture, because this is what, this was the media. And this is also a woman who is such, like, I love Oprah. Like I said earlier, you can never make me not love Oprah. And I think it's a great example of someone who is such a powerful woman, who's broken so many barriers, who's, like, built herself up from, like, poverty, from sexual abuse, from, like, she has had all of the markers for someone who would have led a really difficult life and been profoundly disadvantaged with her surroundings and she's a is she the most powerful woman in america she if she's not the most she's in the top 10 for sure hands hands down she's obviously heard that she's overweight from people she's Mm -hmm. obviously been told that even in her position of power and she's internalized it enough to to do this, right? And I think that's just important for all of us normal people <laughs> who aren't in these big positions of power to sort of recognize that like it's it's hard for everyone. And she's yeah. going through that, right? So well, and that's the thing. It's you know, like we have talked about at length before, you know, soft on people, hard on systems. She is not th- this is not look what Oprah Winfrey did, you know, she's a big, bad, powerful person. This is, you know, this system has created this. She since has gone on and I quote to describe the wagon of fat as quote, a big, 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 big mistake. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, she's, she's caught up in the same system that the rest of us are. Right. Totally. Totally. And at the end of the day, it's also a good reminder that, you know, we, it's not, it's good to reflect back on things you've done. And when you have such a immense position of power, you can do things. We all do stupid shit, (laughs) right? And thank God we don't all have like giant platforms where our stupid shit that we do gets broadcast literally. literally. (laughs) Like how old is that clip? Like 35, 40 years old. Right. So still living. It's yeah. still being talked about. People still mm-hmm. know what it is, right? Yeah. So there you go. The 1980s is, you know, we have all this coming together. Perfect storm of like the mantra we see still today. Health is personal responsibility. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. The 80s. I'm sure it's going to get better when we hit the 90s. Uh, 90s. Famously kind to women and their bodies. Thanks so much for listening to we really appreciate your support and if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast it would mean the world to us